You're listening to Roar, Voices from Localization Insiders, Series Speed Bumps. Welcome and thank you for listening to Roar Speed Bumps. My name is Gio. I'm currently a graduate student at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies at Monterey, studying translation and localization management. For those unfamiliar with the title, we are a student-led podcast designed to address speed bumps or challenges that exist in the localization industry. We speak with students, educators, and industry professionals to learn about these speed bumps and discuss possible solutions. Today, it's my honor to bring one of these professionals, uh, my dear friend, Melvin Sue. Melvin and I go way back, and in fact, he single-handedly changed the course of my life some four years ago when he convinced me to move to Taiwan. He currently works on the client side as a program manager at Autodesk in San Francisco. Hi, Melvin. Hi, I'm Melvin. Thank you so much for being here with us today. Uh, I really appreciate uh, the time. I know you're working really, really hard. So do you mind just, you know, briefly sharing a little bit of information about yourself, your background and how you got into localization? Yeah, no problem. Uh, my name is Melvin Sue, and um, I have, well, for for my undergraduate studies, I study linguistics and for my master's study later, I went out, I went went on and study linguistics as well. Um, however, I wanted to do something that's less theoretical in terms of uh, dealing with languages and do something that's more functional and more applicable to, to everybody's lives, I would say. So mm-hmm. I, after graduating, I looked into different options. Um, I started working for Apple as a sort of like a language specialist position. Um, and then later on, went to Netflix for coordination job in the localization field. And then after that, I came to, uh, I went to Uber um, uh, as a program manager. And then I recently, I recently just switched uh, to, to Autodesk also as a localization program manager uh, working. So basically my, I would say my whole career has been dedicated to the localization field. Uh, you know, I've worked as a coordinator, uh, dealt with linguistic quality. And now I'm working mostly uh, platform and uh, program level stuff for localization. Cool. I mean, actually, um, I didn't really mention this, but where I did meet Melvin was actually at Apple. Uh, we were both hired on at the same time. And I find it kind of hilarious that, after even those four years since since that time, you ended up getting into localization, and then I ended up studying studying it. And it's I don't think it's ever something we ever really discussed together. I know uh-huh. we both had a, a a passion for languages, and I'd always right. bug you with Chinese questions all the time. Right. <laughs> but to see that we're actually like in the same industry, it's pretty pretty crazy. Right. And that so. Um, so is there anything else you want to mention about your, your background or can I start bombarding you with questions on how localization yeah, is? I, yeah, I yeah. think it's pretty interesting how like everyone in the localization field kind of, you know, came in because uh, mostly we're interested in different cultural backgrounds or languages. And then mm-hmm. so it's, uh, oh, yeah, a lot, a lot of focus has been placed on uh, the language itself, the languages part itself, but actually um, 
what I've been realizing in the in the program manager role in localization is that like um, negotiation negotiation skills and also mm. program management skills is more important than the like language aspect. Right, right. But you still use your. I mean, from discussions we've had before, you you depending on the the project or what the needs of the company, you still incorporate your language skills, right? Of course. I mean, yeah. knowing more how languages function would really help. And, you know, you will be more sensitive in terms of how you manage the programs. But mm. I think what really uh, gives you success in the localization field really is your program management, uh, management skills instead of your language skills. Got it. So speaking of that, um, the reason... You know, I invited you to, to to do this podcast and discussion was because we're really curious about you know speed bumps or challenges that that certain the professionals or students are facing in the industry. Okay. So I wanted to ask you if you know are there any challenges that you're currently facing? Because I know you've been just on the working on the client side. Uh, have you witnessed any of these so-called speed bumps or challenges uh, during your time in the the industry? I think a reoccurring theme that I have witnessed um, is that uh, a lot of these companies, uh, be, be it whether when I was at Netflix or Uber or right now here at Autodesk, we're really focused on uh, mainly three things, right? Uh, three being the cost, how can we keep the cost low? Uh, SLA, how can we keep it fast, the turnaround time fast? And then lastly is the quality. How can we do everything else and still not suffer on our quality? Mm. So um, most companies are moving towards um, what I think people will be familiar with. It's called CL, which is continuous localization. Uh, so yeah. basically is, it's uh, mapping or connecting, setting up the pipeline for translation as engineers code new, new strings and new content. And then it just automatically goes into translation to to the vendor side. Uh, you know, once we have the pipeline set up, everything is continuous. We just need to kind of set the cadence. You know, pull it mm -hmm. once weekly, and then dispatch the job, and then have trans uh, the translation vendor translate on a weekly basis or according to the SLA. Um, but what I see is that it's it's. Of course, it's not easy to set up that pipeline, but once that's set up, you will think that everything is is um, kind of just which would just be ongoing, and then you don't really need to manage it. But that's not usually the case. And you probably um, wouldn't have a job if that were the case. <laughs> yeah. So um, <laughs> I think, uh, of course, other than the you know the hiccups in the tools and uh, those issues, um, what the reoccurring theme that I kept seeing that would. I think would be a challenge or a speed bump would be that um, the content just keeps coming in, right? So mm -hmm. the vendor just keeps getting these you know, these new contents to translate. But a lot of times, like uh, linguists have very little visibility on what they're translating. So all they see is just is just one string, and then they don't know where it's going to appear in the product, or they don't know what new initiatives the 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 client's team is trying to do or you know what our company is trying to do the translators has no visibility so it, it is that it is 
getting that context to the translator or to the vendor, that has been like a challenge for most companies. Mm -hmm. uh, not because not because we don't want to provide it, but because the continuous localization setup is that it gives very little visibility. And um, oftentimes, um, the localization team inside a company, like on the client side, um, a lot of times you can get your part, uh, you know, stakeholders to set up these pipelines, but it's very hard to convince them to include you into their their design stages or in their meetings where they're discussing what they're going to, you know, how they're going how they're going to design this new product. So a lot of times the localization program manager has no visibility on, on what's on what's going through the pipeline. So, well, when, so, so mm -hmm. let, me, let me just just make sure I understand this. So essentially, you're getting this content that needs to be localized, right? Right. But you're not really familiar with with what it it actually entails and the ins and outs of it, and then you're just expected to give it to your vendor, who also right. then doesn't know anything. And because you're you're so tight with the timelines, that there there's just kind of like this gap where they don't right. really know what's happening, and but you the the other product teams are asking you you know we need this localized now so that's that's right is that is that, is that what a, am i understanding that correctly yes or especially okay. when when it's already set up for continuous translation mm -hmm. so things just go through the the, tra the vendor gets the content and we don't even know that it's going through because the pipelines uh -huh. are already set up you know and then they, they it might be something new then they don't know what they're translating so that's oh, kind of okay. so what has been some of the uh I mean, obviously, the, the the benefit to that is just the speed. I'm assuming, right? Just you know, right. the automation aspect of it. So, is the biggest you know drawback to that the quality, or in your eyes, what is the biggest challenge with that constant localization? I think quality definitely definitely suffer, but mm -hmm. definitely this is something we can mitigate. And I think this is where uh, a real challenge is, is. This where like most. These are the issues that a program manager should solve as soon as they are interested with a program. I think there are a few things that you can do to mitigate this. Mm -hmm. uh, basically, reach out to your product managers, even the ones that you've already set up the pipeline. Uh, localization support does not end there, even though they can submit content and they, you know, everything's kind of running on its own. But it's mm -hmm. not because without that crucial piece of context or knowing what your product managers are working on, your vendor cannot help you perform well. So I mm -hmm. think it's really important for, for us as program managers to set up you know, weekly meetings or uh, bi-weekly meetings just to understand what products or what initiatives these program man product managers are working on. And just... They, they think that they only need to reach out to us at the when they submit the content, but that's not how it is. You, you kind of really, really need to know what's coming and what is the launch roadmap, when is it going to be live, so that you can properly prepare your vendor for success. Okay, so in, in, in the cases where quality suffers, um, I know you, you mentioned to me like it depends on the visibility, right? So things that have more visibility, obviously the quality is more important. Um, right you know, where the end users have to deal with it or whatnot, like the website, right. et cetera. So for the, from the aspect of the teams that you did, you work from, from their point of view, what do they understand quality to be? Do they understand quality in the sense of, you know, localization professionals, or is it just a kind of this very general idea of like language quality? 
I think uh, what is quality is a very um, subjective question, depending on who you ask. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, for some teams, they would think that, oh, if the content does not work for my team, that's bad quality. And for some teams, they would think that, hey, whatever you translate has to be really faithful to the English source. So while I think a challenge for a big international company operating, having different branches operating in different countries is that, you know, the content could be made here in the USA and we're translating correctly according to our, you know, original source, but somehow that content just is not applicable when it goes to the regional offices. So um, uh, the regional office would say this is bad quality, but actually it is good quality if you look at it, if it's you know, faithful to the English source. So a lot of times I think managing the vocalization program, you kind of have to be that middle person to connect the city team with the headquarter team and help mm-hmm. them understand what the issue really is. Sometimes it lies in the source. Uh, so um, I think, yeah, quality is very different depending on how people see it. And um, for headquarter, uh, a lot of times they want things to be consistent. So they want right. one turn to be translated consistently, uh, you know, whether it's in the region or in the product and all the marketing materials. So a lot of times you have to be that middle person to corral everyone together and mm. then, uh, tell them, hey, it suffers our translation memory if we translate it differently. Um, mm. And then, you know, and this will suffer the SLA because if we have to constantly make tweaks just to fit one side, then it will not work. So you got to bring everyone together and have them agree on something. Uh, and that's, that's definitely one of the challenges as well. Yeah, because, I mean, you were mentioning in the beginning this whole thing about, like, quality, but also time, right? And this constant balance where, you know, and then also, you know, coming in depends on your budget, how much money you have. And it's like you can't have all three of them, you know, like quality, have it be affordable and then fast. Mm-hmm. So I'm just curious. It, it, so with respect to like the quality and time is, is, are there positions where you, I mean, I'm assuming that you have to sacrifice one over the other or, or how do you manage that situation? Especially given the fact that you have, you're talking about the constant localization and all that. Right. How, how does that like pose a challenge as well? Well, one way Autodesk is trying to solve that challenge is to really advocate our stakeholders to kind of employ and kind of turn on our machine. Uh, we have a machine translate, a machine translation or machine learning program. Okay. We really want them to start using machine translation as the first step of translation. And after that, we can have post-editing uh, with human involved. Uh, doing yeah. so, it really lets our um, machine learn uh, the content that is specific to Autodesk. And mm-hmm. so it can only get better and better. The more we use it, the better it will get, right? And then with uh, post-editing, a pair of human eyes would be looking at these machine-translated content and then kind of correcting the TM and then ensuring that it will only get better in the future. So I think our middle ground is is really just to uh, advocate this new, where we believe it will really help on the long term, uh, deploy machine translation. And uh, it will help the SLA while uh, really uh, increasing the quality. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I mean, on paper, that sounds 
makes total sense, right? I'm just curious, uh, how is it, was it, is it, is that an easy sell to the, re- the people that are not a part of the localization team internally? No, like, not at this, all. right? So, because like, I mean, people kind of have a tendency who aren't exposed to like machine translation kind of just associated with like Google Translate, yeah. right? So, so, what has that experience been trying to like evangelize uh, MT within Autodesk? That has been very hard because, as, <laughs> as you can imagine, when people hear machine translation, they're yeah. just thinking, oh my God, it's like Google translation. But yeah, right, right, what right. we mean by machine translation really isn't just machine translation, it's, it's just turning on that pipeline for us to have the tools start you know, recording and then refining to our internal content mm-hmm. with still having a post-editing by a real human. So right. um, I think kind of the Reddit has to change when we approach different teams and really just Mm. let them know that this even though we call it machine translation that's just part of the process right like it's not like everything is machine translation and the second thing that i have been doing with my stakeholders is i would run tests for them i would tell them hey why don't we turn on for only this language and then um for the rest we will still translate using full human um Mm. you know procedure and then um let them compare let them have the regional office look at it and see if there's if the quality is good or if they see actual a lot of difference so these are kind of like the a b testing that i'm just throwing out to let my stakeholders uh test and um you know with with a with a purpose of letting them know that hey you can save on budget and you know you as we do this it can only get better so it, it, it's it's a hard sell, but I think it definitely is where uh, this should how localization should go going forward. Right, and I mean I definitely agree with that, especially like once people kind of better get a better grasp of that the machine translation can improve over time when you start feeding it things that you know is is only material related to what you do right as you were mentioning before i was just curious because you said something interesting that you said that the rhetoric changes depending on the stakeholder you're talking to uh could you elaborate on what you mean by that when Um, what exactly do you mean by that basically in our field in localization field when we say machine translation we know what it does and we know that we use it as an aid, you know, to help our whole translation pipeline. But for our stakeholders, they they get stuck as soon as they hear machine translation. Exactly mm-hmm. what you were mentioning. They think of Google Translation. They just think yeah. of, you know, clicking a button and then that's all they see. Like yeah. immediately translated. Uh, right, that's right, not right. how it works. So um, not yet. <laughs> you just have to really prep them and so uh, really tell them how the process works a lot of the times instead of just saying, oh, this is just, why don't we just turn on machine translation? You kind of just have to say, um, uh, there's a few choices for you to pick from. We can do, uh, have a, uh, you know, have a pair of eyes translate first and then have someone uh, have another pair of eyes review it. Or there's another route where you can, you know, use this new technology where we can use the machines to translate the content first. Uh, keep in mind that the machine is specific to the, the machine uh, translation is specific to content that's related to your program. So um, in the future, it can, it can be better and better and have someone review these the, the content that's translated and 
a lot. And then, of course, at that time, most people won't buy into it because they think that the quality will still suffer, right? So, right, 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 right. right. Out. So that's when you can really offer free testing or say, like, why don't we turn on, uh, based on our data, we know that our, um, you know, this in this language, in this locale, not a lot of people are, you know, viewing this content. Can we try using machine translation in this in this locale first? And you have the city team to give feedback, and we can, you know, we can translate that using machine translation and non-machine translation, and Got give it. them both, and then have them tell them to, uh, you know, cre- uh, provide feedback. What's better and what's not? And right. a lot. Of, we've done that for German, for yeah. one that I'm working on, and they do not see a huge, a, a lot of, a lot of difference. They couldn't even tell. So right, exactly. Yeah, yeah I was just going to mention that. The point. Yeah, they just they, you compare them, they can't even tell the difference. So yeah. I just I just realized up until this point, I kept on calling it constant localization. Why didn't you correct me? It's con- continuous localization. Uh, I think, I think <laughs> people, people call it differently. Oh, do they? Okay. Yeah. I was sure. So uh, I just want to go to the last question, which is: mm-hmm. so you, we were mentioning in the very beginning the 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 speed the bump that you mentioned the challenge with a uh, continuous localization and then kind of this this gap that it creates because there isn't enough time to educate the vendors on the content that's being um, translated. Mm-hmm. So do you envision MT being a solution to this or how does that tie into this? this I, I don't think MT, MT will be the solution to this. That okay. really still depends on your stakeholder relationship mm-hmm. and really, unless you can have de- develop a better tool, you know, like that, where we can have the stakeholders really ingest the PRDs or screenshots or something in that in in the strings that are associated, but uh, I see what that, you're saying. that will really need to you will really need to have a good um, mm. internationalization team that is working on these tools. So mm. I think that stage is in a perfect world that would be the best, and your stakeholders will have to be you know. Uh, coding with the right references and that i think that's very hard that's a lot more that's right. that's like a lot of ass to the engineers because they i don't think they would think that they were hired for to to do that so i think right. the most reasonable way to solve this is still uh evangelization based on you know trying to be proactive and mm. attend things where and let them know that localization really needs to happen at the design stage and not mm. the last stage when mm. you're done with everything and you're just trying to push translation through. That's <laughs> that's really not how it should work. And then I think constant reach out and education and you really be being friends with the product managers and let them know that you need to be included at that very first stage. That's yeah. the most important. Yeah, super interesting. All right, Melvin. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for making time to come and discuss uh, this this speed bump challenge with me today. I just wanted to ask, um, do you have any last words for our listeners? Maybe some life advice, or I know you love to go out to eat because I'm on your Instagram all the time um, for places uh-huh. to go in San Francisco. All right. Um, I just recently joined this plan called Meal Plan, where you can really. Uh, you know, pre-order food and then see which among your coworkers are also going to get food from that restaurant. And that has been pretty interesting. Okay. Um, 
But other than that, <laughs> yeah, I think we're not spon- we're not sponsored by Meal Plan. Just so everybody <laughs> knows, like we're not we're not affiliated with them at all. Yeah. <laughs> as far as for like life plans, I think, um, I think really like I'm passionate about languages. I'm still really interested in working with people f- from different cultural backgrounds, and I think mm-hmm. being in the localization field really like you benefit from meeting different kinds of people and that has been very interesting sure. but i think what really helps you get through and really uh you know do well in the job is really your your mat like project and program management skills and mm-hmm. really um being able to negotiate with your stakeholders and your vendors i think that has been the most been like most important lessons that i've learned from the uh, roles in the localization field all right. That's great, Melvin. And uh, I look forward to being out there in the real localization field after I graduate. And hopefully, well, I know our, our paths will cross again. Great. Thank you. All right. For All right. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening to Roar. Voices from Localization Insiders, series Speed Bumps. Music courtesy of musicjunkies.com. We thank the Translation and Localization Management students from the Middlebury Institute of International Studies for producing this episode.